Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel. We're going to look at chapters 11 and 12 this morning. As you're turning there, don't forget to grab some Christmas Eve invite cards. We handed these out at the doors last week. We're not going to do that this week, but you can grab these invite cards at our Welcome uh, Center, which is right in the center of the uh, lobby. If you're new with us and love to invite you to our Christmas Eve service, 3.30 and 5 o'clock. And let me also just say, uh, because this is how much I value it, today at 4.30, we're going to have our restore celebration night. And I don't know about you, but you may be just maybe a little down. Sometimes the holidays can cause that in us, uh, depending on what your situation is. And man, I'm just telling you, it is going to be, it's always an amazing night or, or afternoon on this, in terms of this, this uh, event. In the, it's just an amazing time just to be able to celebrate the ways that the Lord is allowing people to see how Jesus makes a difference in their everyday life. Uh, There have been times that I've come to restore celebrations and I've been a little down. And I leave and I'm like, Lord, I'm reminded why we're doing what we're doing. And so I want to encourage you to be there. I know many of you will be there because you participated in Restore. And let me tell you something right now. Some of you are as nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Like you're just like freaking out because public speaking is the number one fear in people if you did not know that. But I want to encourage you. That what I've found in my life is that when I actually share with others what the Lord has done in me, it almost solidifies it. It, 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 it just puts a big, massive period on the end that's like, no, I want to tell other people. And God will use you if you take that step of faith, I promise you. All right, 1 Samuel 11 and 12. If you're new with us, we're in this series through the book of 1 Samuel that we've entitled, Give Us a King. And really, we've entitled it that because... I don't know about you, but I would, I would say this is true of you because it's true of me. We all say that. Though we don't say it verbally, we say that with our actions, we say that with our desires. We want a king. We want someone to lead us to a place of joy and contentment. And so often is the case is that my heart tends to look for that joy and contentment in other things and other people other than the king that we just sang about who is Jesus. And so that's no different for the people of Israel as we walk through this book that lays out the history of Israel during this time period where they're transitioning from judges to kings. And we saw a few weeks ago that that Saul is found as the first king of Israel. We'll see in this passage today that he's actually officially uh, made king of Israel. But before we look at that, I just want to ask a question, all right? This is a safe place. How many of you forget things easily? Raise your hand. Okay, actually like three quarters of the, of the room. I was trying to think for myself, what were some significant moments in, I, in my life where I forgot? And so actually this morning as we were getting ready in our house, I said to Lori as we were getting ready in the bathroom, I was like, hey, I, I don't think I've done this. Have I ever forgotten an anniversary Have I ever forgotten a birthday? And by God's grace, she said no. Maybe she forgot that I forgot, but nevertheless, I was taking that as a win. But there were some significant things I even thought about of of times that I forgot. I remember uh, when I was in seminary, and I remember all of a sudden leaving class and thinking to myself, man, Mike, I, I, I actually got a lot of time on my hands uh, today. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, I looked at the syllabus and found that I had a 15-page paper due the next day that I had done no research for whatsoever. 
So I remember Lori and I didn't have kids at the time, thank the Lord, but um, it was in that time that I was like, Lori, I'm pulling an all-nighter, I will see you tomorrow. I forgot that. I think of uh, another time fairly recently, a few weeks ago, that Aaron and I were traveling um, to Chicago and... um, If you know anything about Aaron, he's very organized, okay? So this is not self-deprecating. This is a compliment to Aaron. He's extremely organized. I'm not really a details guy. I like organization, but, man, when I travel with him, it is amazing because he knows where we're sitting, what time we leave, what type of plane we're flying on. Like, like it's, I just got to show up. Well, this one particular time is, and this was just a few weeks ago, like I said, is we get to the airport and I go to get out, we park, and I go to get my suitcase, and I go to get my book bag, which has my computer and my Bible and everything I need for this trip, and my backpack is not there in the back seat. I completely forgot it. Now, this was a Sunday afternoon we were traveling, and man, was I frustrated. But for someone who's extremely organized and very detailed, Aaron got a little humor out of it because... Me, I'm like, hey, what time you show up? I'm, I'm traveling with Aaron, remember? Like, I'm not thinking about anything. But that wasn't the reason I forgot my backpack. You know why I forgot my backpack? Because before I took off on that plane and got in that car, I was watching my beloved Chicago Bears who were playing terrible, who lost the game on a, and I don't even remember what game it is because that's been a consistent pattern this season, but I remember being so upset, and that game made me so upset that literally I forgot my backpack. What am I pointing this out? Because I forgot my backpack that I needed for that trip because I valued watching the Chicago Bears and what was taking place more than I valued what I need for that trip. That's important. Just keep that in your mind. 1 Samuel chapter 11, let me just tell you what happens in this chapter because we're going to spend our time in chapter 12. You have this individual named Nahash and he's one of the rulers of the Ammonites and Nahash, as we're told in in verse 1, invades a place called Jabesh-Gilead in Israel and he asks, and all of a sudden the people of Jabesh-Gilead ask for a treaty to be made with Nahash because they're scared to death for their lives, and so they asked for a treaty. So Nahash actually says to them, okay, here's your treaty. Here's the condition. Here's what I want you to do. We find this in verse two. I want you all to gouge out your right eye. There's the treaty. Now what's interesting in verse three, and though it was not humorous then, I kind of find it somewhat humorous. Now you would think, well, absolutely not we're doing that. But the elders of Jabesh say, hey, uh, Nahash, give us seven days to think of whether or not this is a good deal. I don't know about you, but I need one second. (laughs) Give us seven days. And we're going to figure out every other scenario that possibly is available to us. And if we can't find another way to save ourselves, then we will do exactly that. But what we find in verses 5 through 7 is that Saul asks the people, why are they weeping? And obviously when he finds out why they're weeping, like you and I would be weeping if we knew we might lose our right eye, all of a sudden it's interesting. It says the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon Saul, just like we looked at last week. And when that happens, Saul is ready to go to war. Remember last week we looked at Saul's fear? Well, because the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon Saul, he's different than who he normally is, and he is ready to go to battle. And what he does is he takes a yoke of oxen, and he cuts them all up, and he sends them to all the people of Israel with a message. 
And the message is this, if you don't fight, we're going to do that with all of your oxen. So what do you think the people's response is? Look at what it says in, um, at the end of uh, in verses 5 through 7. It says, they come out as one man. All of a sudden, they're ready to fight. Amazing, right? Well, Saul and Israel, just to give you the summation of this chapter, Saul and Israel go out and they defeat the Ammonites. And they do exactly what the Lord promised Saul, is that if Saul would look to him, that the Lord would protect Saul, he would give Saul the strength that he needed, he had the spirit of the Lord. And then we find in chapter 12 that after this victory, Samuel says to all of Israel, okay, Here's your king, Saul's anointed king at the end of chapter 11. Officially, he's presented as king after this great battle. The people all see what the Lord has done through Saul. They're ready to make, them, make him their king. And then Samuel has this transitionary statement where he says, okay, you have your king, and now I just want to make sure and have you affirm that I have led faithfully. I've left with integrity. I've led with character, and the people affirm that. Now, look at verses 6 through 9. This is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Samuel says this to the people. The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. So Samuel is going to give a history lesson on the people of Israel and the way that they have conducted themselves throughout since they were left Egypt, verse seven. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. Praise God for the Lord's deliverance. And look at verse nine. But they forgot the Lord their God. Here's the title of the message this morning. The Dilemma of Forgetfulness. The Dilemma of Forgetfulness. This is the idea that I want you to get, and it comes straight from that phrase that I just read at the beginning of verse 9, but they forgot the Lord their God. This idea that forgetting the Lord's instruction and intervention is a conscious choice of your heart. Conscious choice. Conscious choice of your heart. Can we just pray for a moment? I'm just going to pray quickly here. But all of us raised our hand and said, man, we're forgetful people, but not necessarily. We didn't, I didn't ask the question in terms of the Lord's instruction and the Lord's intervention. But So I'll just speak for myself. Man, that can be often the choice of my heart. So can we pray and ask the Lord to speak to the areas of forgetfulness that we have in relation to him. God, I thank you today for the opportunity to open up your word. Lord, when your word is open, your mouth is open. Lord, show us where we are making choices to forget. In Jesus' name, amen. That word forget in the Hebrew is an interesting word. It's not simply an act of having a thought pass from one's consciousness or a temporary lapse of memory. It is a conscious action of the will. That's what the word means in the Hebrew. 
So when I say, are you a forgetful person, or that question is posed to me, here's what I think. Oh yeah, I am, but, but it's not a conscious thing. It's, it's kind of a thing that's, that's just kind of a passive thing. I didn't mean to forget, but that's not the word mentioned in verse 9. The word forget is actually a conscious act of the will, which is why I say this morning that forgetting the Lord's instruction, forgetting the Lord's intervention is a conscious choice of my heart and yours. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you three choices that our hearts make or can make that lead us to forget the Lord's instruction and intervention. Here's the first one. Your heart forgets when you make this choice, the choice to ignore the Lord's instruction. Ignore it. Ignore it. Now I'm going to have us read some passages of scripture that are not in 1 Samuel, but the reason why I want us to read it is because these are the initial instructions that the Lord gives to the people of Israel generations ago from the people that Samuel is speaking to here. But nonetheless, these were the same instructions. Look at Deuteronomy 8. Verses 11 through 17, you can turn there or it's on the screen. This is what the Lord says to the people of Israel. As he's delivered them from Egypt and about to lead them towards the promised land, he says, take care lest you forget, same word in the Hebrew, the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and you live in them and when your herd and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your hearts be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. What we've got to remind ourselves of this morning is that ignoring the Lord's instruction is a matter of knowing, knowing it, and hearing it but choosing not to obey it. If we've grown up in the church for a long time, we make that unfortunate uh, conclusion that hearing the Lord's instruction and knowing the Lord's instruction is the same as obeying the Lord's instruction. And that's not the case. And that's the warning the Lord is giving the people of Israel here. And it is what the same thing that Samuel is telling the people of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 12. Let me just give you this real quickly. Ignoring the Lord's instruction involves is the result of these two things. In your life, in my life, and the people of Israel. Number one, you believe you know better than God. That's why I ignored the Lord's instruction. Because I can get caught up in the lie that I know better than God. I know better than God in this situation. I know how to handle this better than God does. I know what leads to my happiness better than God does. I know what leads to my contentment better than God does. I know how to re, uh, resolve this situation better than God does. We get ourselves into believing that we know better than God. Here's the second thing, second result that leads to us ignoring the Lord's instruction. You believe you're the exception. You know why I say that? Because if that was not the case, there'd only be one failed marriage. There'd only be one person in addiction. There'd only be one person who ever struggled with a certain sin. Because the rest of us would say, holy cow, I don't want that to happen to me. And I'm not saying that for the person that it did happen to, that somehow we're looking better on them. But you know why 
it's continually multiplied. There's been times in my life where I've seen someone else make the same decision that I made, but I was ignoring, and I ignored the Lord's instruction, but why did I do it? Because I thought I was the exception. Well, the reason why that worked out for him is, is there was variable circumstances in regards to that. Yes, they disobeyed what God said was his, what was his best for my life. Yes, they, th- there's a passage of scripture that they didn't regard, but I'm the exception. Think about where Israel finds itself in 1 Samuel chapter 12 versus when these instructions were made in Deuteronomy generations ago. But every generation thought that they were the exception. Man, we forget, we forget the Lord's instruction and intervention that he gives us, that he provides for us, that he shows us when we make the choice to ignore the Lord's instruction. Here's the second choice, the choice to follow other gods, to follow other gods. Deuteronomy 8 verses 19 and 20, the Lord continues to instruct Israel, same passage, same chapter, Just continuing on from verse 17, verse 19. And if you forget, there's that word again, a conscious choice of the will. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. God. What's a simple definition of an idol? It's a simple definition. It's this. Anything or anyone that we worship more than the Lord. That's the definition of an idol. Anything or anyone that we worship more than the Lord. And then I thought to myself, well, some of you are like, well, what does it mean to worship? Well, here's the definition I came up with worship. Whatever gets the most of our time our thoughts, our talents, or our treasure. You're like, wait a minute, Johnny, I work a 40-hour-a-week job. Like, like, of course that's going to be more than maybe the time that I spend in devotions or the time that I spend in prayer. No, 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 no. We're not going after this in a legalistic way. I mean, I mean our, our attention. Like, I can be working in my job and understand that I'm working it for something greater than a paycheck. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. But I'm talking about what consumes our thoughts, our time, our talents, our treasure, what we give our money to, like all consuming, that is what we worship. It's what we live for. John Calvin, who many of you may know, he was a key figure if you're a history buff in the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. He says this about our hearts. The human heart is an idol factory. An idol factory. And man, our hearts are so prong, prone to look for anyone or anything to be our king. To anyone or anything that can be the quick fix. To anyone or anything that can resolve this as quickly as possible. And we find ourselves making a conscious choice of the heart to disregard the Lord's instruction and intervention because we make the choice to follow after other gods, lowercase g. Here's the third choice, the choice to live out of fear. And every one of these choices are alluded to in chapter 12, verses six through nine. First Samuel 12, 12 says this, 
And when you saw, this is Samuel speaking to the children of Israel, and when you saw that Nahash the king, remember, remember the one that I just mentioned, the one that said, hey, I'll make a treaty with you, Israel. Just gouge out every one of your right eyes. Yeah, that king. When Nahash the king of the Ammonites came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord God was your king. Immediately when you're faced with opposition and fear, what did you do, Israel? You immediately forgot all of the Lord's instructions and what he said would happen if you would obey him and seek him. Perfectly, no. But, and if you saw him as your leader, as your king, that he would protect you, had he not shown that over and over again? Had he not demonstrated that over and over again to you? And to your grandfather and your father and your great-grandfather and your great-great-great-grandfather, had he not shown you that? But they made the choice to live out of fear. I don't know about you, if you grew up in the same uh, kind of environment that I grew up in, but I was given, I remember when I was little and a teenager even, I was given this definition of fear as an acrostic. Let's see if you got this same definition or if the pastor that said it to me Claimed it was original, it was not. So this was all what I always had fear defined for me as. False evidence appearing real. Anybody else get that definition? Okay, a few of you. Um, can I just say this? That is a false definition. Because whenever I've been confronted with fear, let me tell you something. It is a very real experience. It's not false evidence. No, I'm like, no. Like, this makes me afraid. This should make me fear. So this idea of false evidence appearing real, and so many of you never heard that definition, so just disregard it. Don't remember that when you leave today. But for me, that was taught to me, and it, what it did is when I did fear it, it brought guilt on, on me because I was like, well, well, this is false. I'm not supposed to be feeling this. And that's not true. Fear is an emotion. So it's not that we tell ourselves it's not real. It's false. No, there's times where everything in our being says, I'm going to be afraid. I, I should be afraid. The question is not do you fear. The question is what do we do with it? Do we live out of it? Or do we combat it? And what the Lord wanted his people to do is they wanted him to bring their fears to him. Lord, I'm afraid right now. But God, let me bring it to you. Let me remind you of your instruction. Let me remind you of your intervention in the past in my life. I mean, that's Psalm 27.1. Remember if you were here at Salem Chapel, we actually taught through this at the beginning of entering into COVID. We did that whole Heart of a Lion series and we walked through Psalm 27 and we memorized Psalm 27. And for me, there is not a more important passage of scripture that has meant more to me in my life than Psalm 27 because I've admitted I struggle with fear. And Psalm 27, 1, I have recited this verse in the middle of the night. I have recited this verse before events that caused me to be afraid. I've recited this events when I'm walking into hospital rooms. I've recited this verse in so many moments in my life to remind myself of what the Lord has said to me in relation to fear. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold. He's the refuge of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? But when we make the choice to live out of fear, rather than take that fear to the Lord, it so often leads us to a place where we forget. Here's a fourth choice, the choice to be complacent. The choice to be complacent. This is Israel's modus operandi. Ignore, follow other gods, live out of fear and complacency. If you had to categorize how they live, it was these four things. But lest we be too judgmental on the children of Israel, I don't know about you, but so often my life can be categorized by ignore, choose to follow other gods, live out of fear, and be complacent. Listen to Hebrews 13, or not Hebrews, Hosea 13 verses four through six, when the Lord says, I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they grazed, they became full, they were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore they forgot, same word, conscious act of the will, they forgot me. You know what so often can happen? Abundance leads to complacency. Some of you praise God. Some of you are on a mountaintop in your walk with the Lord right now. You're not really encountering any, any significant struggles in your life right now. And praise God for that. Those are times that we are to acknowledge that that's a gift from him. That's a provision from him where he's led us out of. But so often, what does it do? It leads us to make the choice to be complacent. So as we close, let me give you this. What choices should we make? Because the last thing I want to do is just tell you the choices that we shouldn't make and let's walk out of here and be like, okay, I know I'm not supposed to do those, but what am I supposed to do? Well, aren't you thankful that the Lord does that with the children of Israel as well? Look at 1 Samuel 12, verses 14 and 15. This is what he says to Israel. So Samuel says, hey, this is how you normally live. But let me yet again remind you of the choices that you should make, the choices of your heart that you should make. Here's the first one that he mentions. Look at verse. He says, if you will fear the Lord, the choice to fear the Lord. Fearing the Lord simply means this. It doesn't mean to cower in fear. It doesn't mean to be shaking in fear, like, like this idea of an abusive parent in regards to a child. It's not that idea. But fear the Lord just simply means this. It's worshipful submission. Worshipful submission. It's us saying this, Lord, I worship you. You, I worship. Oh, I've got other things vying for my worship. Any, these other things, these other persons, these other relationships, whatever it may be, even good things. But Lord, let me remind myself to fear you. Worshipfully submit to you. Lord, I'm saying I worship you. What else does he say? If you will fear the Lord and serve him, there's a choice to serve the Lord. It's saying this, Lord, I serve you. Lord, I'm a banker. Lord, I'm a teacher. Lord, I'm a janitor. Lord, I'm a car salesman. Lord, I'm a lawyer. Lord, I'm a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, which is the most work, but Lord, like, Lord, I serve you. By doing these things, 
I'm looking at ways to fulfill my calling as we talked about last week. It's the choice to serve the Lord. It's what the Lord says to Israel. And then he says this, and obey his voice. The choice to obey the Lord. The choice that says this of the heart, Lord, I obey you. I'm going to obey. I'm not just going to hear. I'm going to obey. And I don't know about you, but maybe you've already put this together. All of these choices are connected. Like there's no way I'm going to make the choice to fear the Lord and not make the choice to serve the Lord. And there's no way I'm going to make the choice to obey the Lord if I'm not also making the choice to fear the Lord and to serve the Lord. But here's a significant choice. There's also a choice to repent before the Lord. Because you know what I'm going to do? I'm not always going to make the right choice. In verses 19 through 22 of chapter 12, look at what it says. It says, and all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. Like all of a sudden conviction comes upon them. And look at what Samuel says to the people. Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. <laughs> Maybe my sense of humor is a little twisted, but it's, I can just picture the same as like, yep, you did. Yep, you did do that. But look at, the, look at the grace. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. Don't make the choice to follow other gods, for the Lord will not forsake his people. Hear the Lord's instruction. Here's the Lord's uh, uh, intervention. For great his namesake because it has pleased the Lord to make for you a people to themselves. The choice to repent, the, it's us saying this. Not only, Lord, I worship you. Lord, I serve you. Lord, I obey you. But it's saying, Lord, I repent before you when I'm confronted with my sin. Those choices of the heart will cause us to combat our forgetfulness and to remember the Lord's instruction and the Lord's intervention. How many of you like sandcastles? Raise your hand. Anybody? I mean, I know we don't live near the beach. Can you just keep your hand up? I want to see who I'm talking to. Okay. How many of you have never made a sandcastle? Raise your hand. Okay. So you made one and you didn't like it. Must be, the, must be the conclusion of the audience in this room. Because only about five people said that they like to make sandcastles, but everybody's made one. Well, I thought this was interesting. I was like, I wonder how, what's the largest sandcastle ever made? You probably didn't think that at all this week, but I did. This is what I found. It actually was built in Denmark in the summer of 2021. So this is fairly recently. Um, there's a picture on the screen of it. it. It stood over 69 feet tall. Crazy. 4,860 tons of sand is what it took to make this massive sandcastle. It was created uh, by this Dutch creator, and I'm probably not going to say his name right, but Wilfer uh, Stigger was assisted by 30 of the world's best sand sculptors. And you see some of them on the screen there. Three and a half weeks is what it took to build. To make it durable, the sandcastle is made up of 10% clay and a layer of glue that was applied. But guess what? And they did this, by the way, so that it would, re re it would stand against winds and rain and storms as long as possible. Guess how long it stood? 
six months. 69 and a half feet tall. 30 people to build it. All the time that it took to plan beforehand. Fairly quickly, three and a half weeks to build it. Makes me think of what Jesus says when he closes on the Sermon on the Mount of Matthew 7, 24 through 27. So many of us know this well, but I actually want to put on the screen how the message, which is kind of like a commentary of the Bible, helps you understand maybe the, the gist of the passage of scriptures. This is what the message says. This is how it interprets Matthew 7, 24 through 27. It says, the Jesus' words, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvement to your standard of living. They are foundational words. Words to build a life upon. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who builds his house on solid rock. Rain poured down. The river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, remember this is the message, not Johnny, you are like a stupid carpenter who builds his house on the sandy beach. And when a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. What did I say? It's not enough to hear the words of the Lord. And we've got to make the choice to obey. And I've never met someone whose life, unfortunately, has been built on something other than the rock or choices that they made that are built on something other than the rock that doesn't say, man, I'm... I, I don't know how we got here. Think about times in my life where that's even happened to me. And I like to think that there were passive things that I made, but if we look back, they were conscious choices of the heart. The choice to ignore, the choice to follow other gods, the choice to live out of fear, the choice to be complacent. And may we be people that are conscious of the choices that we make. And may we be people that say, Lord, we want to fear you. I want to fear you. I want to say, Lord, I worship you. Lord, I want to serve you. I want to say, Lord, my life is here to serve you, not myself, to serve you. Lord, I'm here to obey you. Lord, I, I want to obey what you've said. I want to allow your instruction to inform my decisions. I want to allow your interventions in my life to fuel my faith for future things in my life. And Lord, when I fall and when I fail, Lord, I want to repent before you. I want to acknowledge my sin. I don't want to make excuses for it. I want to follow after you. Three and a half weeks to build almost a 70-foot-tall thing that amazed so many people, a very short amount of time. And man, it's so easy in our life to look for the quick fix, isn't it? A few years ago, I came across this, these facts about this tree called the Chinese bamboo tree. And I think about it all the time when I'm faced with something difficult. And I want the quick fix. 
See, the thing about this Chinese bamboo tree is that it takes five years for this bamboo tree to even break through the ground. And it's got to be watered and fertilized during that time when, when, the, when the farmer doesn't even see any results whatsoever. But he goes back and he waters and he fertilizes and he goes back and he waters and fertilizes for five years. And then something happens on the fifth year. It breaks through. And it, the Chinese bamboo tree, grows 90 feet tall in five weeks. But it took five years for that to happen. What's the point? That even though you didn't see the results above the ground, what was happening was, is all that root system was being developed under the ground so that it had the ability to hold a tree that would stand 90 feet tall. And what I want to encourage you as we close this morning is not to base your decisions to follow the Lord's instructions or to remind yourself of his intervention and to say to yourself, well, Lord, I did it. I made a decision on Sunday this week. I didn't see any results. Well, I'm going to go back to doing my own thing. That's what the enemy wants to do. Deceive, distract, discourage, divide you. The Lord wants us to do is be faithful. Even when we don't see it in the moment. And know, as Ephesians 3 says, that he's rooting and he's grounding you in love. So that you may know the strength and the height and the depth of his love for you. God, help us to be those people this morning. Would you stand with me? God, we're here today to just acknowledge our forgetfulness. Lord, I am such a forgetful person. And then on top of that, I want to justify it. I want to rationalize it. But God, as I was reminded this week, Lord, it is a conscious choice of my heart. And God, may we make the choice to fear you, to serve you, to obey you, to repent before you. And to see you as our King. In Jesus' name, amen.